This is Jesse Rogers, the new host of the Humanity First series in the Mindwave universe. And I'd like to tell you a story. It begins with a man you've probably never heard of named Eli Bremer. Now, Eli Bremer isn't famous. He's an election official. He's the Republican chair of Colorado Senate District 10. And he was bullied on tape by a United States congressman named Ken Buck, who wanted him to break the law. And you can listen to it yourself on a YouTube clip from Denver Channel 7. Buck wanted Bremer to falsify the election results on behalf of a candidate for state Senate named David Stiver. He wanted Bremer to report that Stiver had gotten 30% of the vote when in fact he had only received 24%, not enough to qualify for going, going forward. As a voter, and I'm registered Republican by the way, and I voted for Republicans as well as Democrats. As a voter, I care very much about whether the integrity of the vote is maintained. And so to me, this isn't a story about Democrats versus Republicans. This is a story about corruption and abuse of power in which both the villainous bully named Ken Buck, who tried to override the people's will, as well as the target who he heroically defied him named Eli Bremer, are both members in good standing of the same party, the Republican Party. The issues of our time, as I see it, are a lot bigger than one party versus another. It's really about restoring integrity and trust into a system that's made too many of us cynical. And to do it, we need the cooperation of independents who up till now have sat on the sidelines, as well as Democrats of integrity, as well as Republicans of integrity. There's a quote from Plato that too many of us seem to have forgotten. The price good men pay for indifference to public affairs is to be ruled by evil men. Well, not everyone has forgotten Plato's timeless words. Today, I introduce you to a good man who's been willing time and again to pay the ultimate price for his country. His name is Ike McCorkle, and he's a decorated combat wounded Marine who served this country with honor and has won the Democratic nomination to become the challenger to none other, none other than Representative Ken Buck, who was the bully in our story. This November, the question of whether it is Ike McCorkle or Ken Buck who wins Colorado's 4th District will be a question that influences not just the representation of a district, but the character of a nation. It matters whether it is the hero or the fake who has a seat at the table. And so I couldn't be more proud to introduce Ike McCorkle to the Mindwave universe. And I hope you're excited as well. United in our humanity, together we move forward. So we're going to jump into it. I'm here with Jenner Zeno, who you all know and love. And I'm cool. also here with Ike McCorkle and Frankie Dorr. 
So I'll let you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves. Yeah, sure. Uh, first, I want to just say uh, thank you guys so much uh, for having us on the podcast today. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, yeah, like you said, uh, I'm Ike, Ike McCorkle. Um, I'm a retired Marine officer, a Purple Heart recipient, um, proud father of three amazing kids uh, down in Douglas County, Colorado. And uh, I'm the nominated uh, Democrat uh, running against uh, corrupt Congressman Ken Buck in November. Uh, we won our primary with 83% of the vote. And, you know, independents, uh, Democrats and Republicans, reasonable Republicans, farmers and ranchers across CD4 are fired up about my campaign because, you know, we're going to institute policies that are going to serve people's needs and uh, people are going to be able to trust their government and trust their legislator again uh, when we get in office. And, um, yeah, we're putting together a team that's really competent and we have a really good chance of uh, getting Kim Buck out of office and um, serving the will, the interests, and the needs of the folks in our district again. And it's my pleasure to be uh, doing this uh, with one of my uh, good friends, uh, one of my service buddies, uh, also a retired Marine uh, captain, uh, Frankie Dorr. And um, I'll let Frankie introduce himself. And like I said, it's uh, my pleasure, uh, my honor to be here. You know, and I have a lot of gratitude for uh, you guys uh, having me on the podcast today. So thanks. You're welcome. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. Uh, my name is Frankie. I don't know if I can introduce myself better than Ike did already. Uh, I'm just just a Marine and a friend and a brother of Ike's. Um, not from the political realm whatsoever, but uh, just a just a fellow fellow American and service member that, that you know, um, linked up with Ike for the right reasons and for, for a worthy cause. That's me. Hey guys, that is awesome. And that that is such a refreshing breath of fresh air in this political climate. Uh, you, know, you know, politics is always a dirty game. You know, we all kind of know that. But now more than ever, people need a restoration of trust. So it does not surprise me that you won 83% of that vote. Congratulations on that, Ike. And uh, maybe you could start off by just, you know, I can hear it in your voice how much you care, uh, mm -hmm. but but maybe you can, uh, uh, you know, we want to dive deep for our for our listeners here. So um, I, I know you come from a family that has a, a, a strong military tradition and, and uh, you know, you've, it's service has kind of been, uh, you know, in your blood. So if you want to talk about that a little bit and, and maybe how that led you into politics eventually. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, you mentioned my voice. Uh, sometimes uh, my voice will give out on me occasionally because uh, I do have a, a paralyzed uh, right vocal cord from a combat injury. But, um, you know, I trained over the past uh, few years um, on one working vocal cord um, so that I could speak to people and uh, so that I could run for office and uh, so that I could restore uh, the tenets of what I see as um, the integrity of our democracy. And, um, you know, I learned those lessons uh, throughout my life um, and mainly uh, from my mom. Um, you know, when I was two years old, um, my dad took off and left my mom at uh, 27 years old with uh, three kids and a bankrupt convenience store. My brother was five. I was two. Uh, my little sister was one. And, uh, yeah, so my mom was left out. Um with uh, next to nothing. Um, we moved in with my uh, uncle Ed 
and uh, we were on welfare and food stamps and free meals at school, you know, government cheese block in the fridge <clears throat> that I was always elated to have. And, um, you know, I thought it was amazing when I got a Matchbox card for Christmas. And uh, because of those programs, uh, welfare, food stamps, free meals at school, uh, government cheese, um, my mom was able to go back to school, um, finish her college degree in nursing with three kids at home and apply for and gain her commission in the United States Air Force. And that example she set for me, um, those examples she set for me, you know, I hold near and dear to my heart to this day. Um, and all, they're also the reason uh, that I have a perspective of the public policy and programs and legislation uh, that we need to put in place to take care of our citizens. Um, so when I was eight years old, my mom got a commission in the Air Force. We uh, moved to San Antonio, Texas, Lackland Air Force Base, lived on Medina Air Force Base. And that improved our lives very much for the better. And, you know, I gained an appreciation uh, for service. I gained an appreciation for integrity. Um, I gained an appreciation uh, for the sacrifices that military families make um, in serving the nation. And, you know, eventually uh, we wound up moving to Montgomery, Alabama with the Air Force. And um, my mom exited uh, the service after uh, the initial Gulf War uh, back in 91, 92 uh, time frame. And um, I eventually joined the, the Marines when I was 17 from Alabama. And the lessons I learned, you know, as a young man, uh, taught to me by my mom, uh, taught to me uh, by my observation of the society around me and um, the needs of the people around me, um, informed my perspective on how we need to govern in the future. And that's why I made the decision that uh, I was going to run for office because through the 16 election cycle, uh, I saw the institutions of state that I swore to support and defend um, that I saw as needing to be um, addressing the crises that exist today in order to set my kids up for a better future um, with a clean environment, a health care system that doesn't bankrupt families, um, with the infrastructure that uh, supports the transportation and the needs of people. Uh, the vast majority of people in our society with an educational institution that's focused on educating our youth, not on making profits. Um, and so I decided to run for office because, one, I, I was I'm terrified by the conditions uh, of the democracy that we're leaving our children. I'm terrified by the, con the global conditions that we're leaving our children. There's, an, there's a global environmental uh, crisis. Uh, whole continents are burning. And we have an out-of-control um, rogue executive branch of government uh, continuously putting us on the brink of war, um, compromising our relationships with our allies and exacerbating conflicts with our, with our enemies. Um, and that's not setting my kids up for a better future. It's not addressing the environmental crisis. 
Um, it's not bringing society or governments around the globe closer together. It's dividing us up and it's being done for a specific purpose. It's being done to financially, further financially enfranchise a very minute fraction of our population. And so we need to start <coughs> examining programs that reinvest in the infrastructure, that reinvest in the social safety nets that at one point in time made the American middle class the envy of the world, but that have been slowly over decades dismantled as we have deregulated the capitalist market system. And as we know, uh, capitalist market systems are naturally autocratic in nature and rightfully so because their objective is to make profits for the corporation, for the, for the business. Um, however, the um, best interests of corporations and the best interests of multinational conglomerate uh, corporations, pharmaceuticals, fossil fuel industries, don't, their best interests don't always correlate or align with the best interests of the people. They don't always correlate or align with setting the conditions that are needed in order to provide our, our citizens with greater equity, with greater freedom, with greater liberty, with revenue in their pockets to put food on their tables, to ensure that they have a roof over their heads so that we can take care of our kids and so that we can get through this pandemic crisis and start making progress again as Americans instead of as independents, Democrats, or, or Republicans divided up along tribal and, you know, uh, and um, I, in my opinion, unjustly instituted divisions in our society. Uh, we need to start taking care of our neighbors again. We need to start reacting to each other with empathy and concern instead of uh, division. And, and to me, that's why I decided to run for office, uh, because I love this country and I'm deeply concerned uh, about the integrity of our democracy. And I'm deeply concerned and I care deeply about our children's future. Well, you know, you've expressed so much gratitude for, uh, uh, to us for giving you the, the chance to uh, to relay that message. But but really, I, um, I, I am so grateful to you that you are stepping forward, not just, um, you know, in, in action in, in the military service that you've done uh, to put your your body on the line in the defense of our nation, but um, you know, now when we need your, the, the strength of your voice, uh, with one vocal cord, you carry more power than so many of the politicians that I hear giving us nothing but empty rhetoric and, and lip service. And it, it just, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just really grateful to have the chance to talk with you today. And, uh, uh I don't want to get too heavy, but I just have yeah. to say, you know, I, I'm just, um, let me turn it over to Frankie and and uh, and and have and have him uh, uh, say a few words about how he uh, got involved in the campaign and, and his backstory as well and how it led him how it led him to this moment. Oorah! You know, I, I haven't I haven't given a live oorah in probably ten years, and now it's happened twice within a, a three day span with Ike and. It happened a few days ago and it kind of just flew out of my body. Ike was the first time I heard him speak in public and it just, you know, he fired me up and I let one go. And, um, you know, that's really the basis for why I'm involved and how I got involved. This is, uh, 
it's a fight worthy of fighting. You know, um, I thought I was done fighting. Like, and I had a conversation yesterday about, you know, a little bit about our military career and some of the things. And we both thought we were done fighting. You know, maybe it wasn't in us anymore. And um, Ike and I, you know, we hadn't seen each other in over a decade um, up until this last 4th of July, two weeks ago. And, um, you know, what I saw was, a, and I'm, not, I'm not in the political realm, I'm not, I'm not in the politics, had no interest in it whatsoever. Um, but what happened is I linked up with a, with a brother of mine, uh, someone who believes in humanity, someone who believes in, in the people, someone who believes in, you know, in America. And uh, I saw him fighting a fight. And, um, you know, and that's why that's why I'm that's why I'm with him. You know, I he 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 offered me a chance to jump on and help with the team. And, and I didn't think about it twice. You know, um, it's worthy. Amen. A bit Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, I mean, it, it's it's an honor to be speaking here with both of you. Um, and uh, uh, Frankie, we had a chance uh, to talk a little bit. Uh, before this, and uh, you were kind of telling me about the trajectory that led you into to uh, to Harvard, and and uh, but before we skip away uh, to to all that, maybe maybe we should back up and and just kind of start from the beginning of when you guys when you first started your your military service. Um, I know Ike that nine eleven had uh, a, a really dramatic impact on you. What I, I'm I'm really curious about how. Um, how, what your feelings were at that time and, and how that evolved through the war, because I think we're still as a nation trying to resolve uh, some of the, some of the uh, shock of that. And then the aftershock of, of not having the wars go the way that we hoped. And, and I know that, uh, you know, your firsthand seat makes it a, a really emotional um, thing to talk about possibly, but, would you guys be comfortable getting into that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't, I don't mind uh, talking about that at all. You know, I think because, um, <clears throat> not because it's easy to talk about, but because it's something that I think we have to talk about, and um, we have to talk about the impacts of war um, on our um, sons and daughters. Um, and yes, we are still many of us, and as a society. Uh, still grappling with the uh, effects of the decisions that we made, you know, post 9-11. Um, yeah, post 9-11 did have a, a huge impact on me. Um, I was active duty from 97 till 2001. And, uh, you know, those were peace years, of course. And I, and I did a few deployments, uh, reinforced some embassies out in Albania and things like this, and did a six-month, you know, deployment to Panama. But uh, those were the pre-war years. And uh, I decided after my initial four years in the Marines that I was going to switch over to the reserves and I finished my college degree, um, which I did. I switched over to the, to the reserves, and I started back in the, a, college, a semester at college uh, back in um, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And, um, you know, a couple months uh, after the semester started, 9-11 happened. I, of course, remember it very distinctly, um, watching the planes hit the towers on the news. Um, and um, the nation really came together. Um, 
Although I think that our decision-making process was probably flawed with respect to the methodologies that we needed to use to achieve the end state objectives that we desired. And uh, so, you know, I think the after effects of the wars, economically speaking, uh, just for instance, have been devastating. Uh, devastating to our ability to invest in our own infrastructure, uh, devastating uh, to our ability to remain uh, the moral and ethical uh, leader in the world. And um, so the effects of our decision-making processes after 9-11 are, are huge and significant, and they've got us where we are now. And so I think it's very important that we examine them and so that, you know, moving into the future, uh, we may, we have a better, uh, more robust, more deliberative decision-making process that um, and uh, methodology that will that will achieve the end state objectives which we desire, which is of course a spreading of liberty, a spreading of individual civil liberties, a spreading of economic opportunity, and a uh, more integrated um, uh, international community that is uh, dedicated to human rights and dedicated to the rule of law. And um, to all the ideals that, you know, we've held dear since our founding as a republic and that we've moved a little bit closer to through each period of tumultuous change. Um, the biggest, of course, in our history being the Civil War. And historically, through these tumultuous periods of change, in the aftermath, we go through a period of significant progressive public policy and we saw that during the New Deal and the post-World War II era. And like we spoke about earlier, that's what set up our middle class to be the envy of the world. Although at the time it was only the uh, largely the white and affluent in our society that benefited uh, from those programs. This time around, when we make this vast reinvestment in the infrastructure and the civil service and the, uh, and the uh, public policies and programs that can again make us our middle class and our quality of life, the envy of the world. When we, when we reinstitute these policies, we need to ensure that they're instituted with equity for all of our citizens. And um, yeah, so uh, I think that the 9-11 uh, the impact of 9-11 uh, has been huge and, of course, throughout all of our lives has, has drastically affected uh, the way that we've governed, the way that we've engaged with the world. And we need to examine whether or not uh, those decisions uh, were sound and whether or not we need to adjust our decisions move, moving forward and our methodologies moving forward to achieve our in-state objectives. Absolutely. And, you know, I've I've sometimes felt as if the planes got hijacked and then shortly after that, our decision making process got hijacked as well. Uh, you know, this time by special interests and people who were interested in, in their own personal enrichment or their own agendas rather than in the strength of our right. nation. Right. And, and corrupted, 
corrupted and hijacked by fear, hijacked by fear and and special interest groups. Absolutely, the public yeah. was hijacked by fear, and and uh, the special interest groups capitalized on that uh, to make money for themselves and their shareholders, and that's what's been occurring, you know, ever since uh, really the system started being deregulated significantly under the Reagan administration. And it seems like what we what we really need to do is exactly what what you're doing, which is just stepping forward and not waiting to be, you know, tapped by somebody and 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 you know having a special interest back us because you know it, it yeah it's it's one thing if you have all that kind of power behind you, but it's another to try to do it as a grassroots citizen trying to do the right thing. To, to make the country better and to make the world better and to make the community that you're going to represent better. And um, so I, I'm, I'm kind of curious too about the, uh, uh, the process of getting to where you are. I mean, becoming the democratic nominee for your district is, is a tremendous accomplishment. How did you pull that off? Let, let me jump in real quick because uh, Ike's the politician, but you mentioned nine 11 and what nine 11 did to him and me and a lot of other folks um, was a lit a fire, a lit a fire in us that maybe was always there, maybe it wasn't, but a lit a fire that we can't put out. That's what 9-11 did, and that's why I still bring in the fight. That's why I'm standing next to him still bringing the fight. Frankie, you've got that fire, man, and I love it. Uh, you know what? Let me back up. Before before I get to that question about the, the Democratic nomination process and all that, I, I, I want to hear your story because yours has – uh, uh, a lot of elements that Ike's does as well in the sense that sure. you've needed help along the way and your country's been there for you and now you're there for your country. And I, and I want that story to be told. <laughs> the entire story? Well, um, Ike, I, Ike and I's life, not only military career parallel in a lot of a lot of areas, we both grew up in rural Washington State. Um, I grew up in rural Washington State until I was about 10 and I moved to the city, Tacoma, Washington. But, you know, we grew up poor. Um, not afraid to use that word, you know, food stamps, uh, free lunches. Parents got divorced when I was 11. And, uh, you know, my mom was working two to three jobs up until that point. I mean, from that point on, um, military, you know, I joined I joined the Marines when I was 19 in 2001, right after September 11. Um, military service wasn't in my lineage. You know, a lot of, of my dad, my grandpa, we've been in the military. A lot of family members have been in the military. But it wasn't it wasn't due to, you know, the military sort of uh, way of life that, that my family had. It was more of like uh, the hardworking uh, ethics that we have in humanity first and, and giving back. Um, so fast forward, uh, we grew up kind of poor after my folks uh, split up when I was 11. We moved to Tacoma, Washington, and I was a knucklehead from the age of 12 to 19. I mean, just an absolute knucklehead. I'm sure if you Google it, you know, that that's the definition of me. I was in and out of, you know. Uh, stand in front of the judge, you know, with my mom doing community service and this and that. I graduated high school in uh, 2001 with a 1.9 GPA. You know, I was uh, no one in my family up to that point had, had ever been to college. So, you know, I don't even remember my family mentioning college growing up, you know, like that was an option. I really I don't think it was ever mentioned. So it wasn't on my radar. You know, I was just my 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 family was happy enough that I graduated college and I, uh, high school, and I think I was happy enough to graduate high school too in May of 2001. You know, and I was happy being a being a, a knucklehead for the, the four months after that until September 11th. Um, September 11th, the morning of September 11th, uh, I was sleeping on my best friend John Winkler's futon up in his bedroom. He was still a senior in high school. 
Um, but his stepmom, Sandra, came and woke me up and said, Frankie, you got to come downstairs. So I, you know, I shake off the cobwebs, walk downstairs. She hands me a cup of coffee as soon as I see uh, the second plane fly into the tower. And uh, I don't think I had a service bone in my body before that. I mean, obviously I did. Um, but again, you know, I military wasn't on my radar. They just never, it was nothing, nothing I even wanted to do. Uh, I shunned authority. <laughs> I wanted nothing to do with it. But uh, I remember it vividly. I sat down, I had him a cup of coffee, and I saw the plane flying in the second tower, and something in me just ignited. You know, I was 19 years old. I had no direction. I had the fire. I had the passion. I had the, you know, the energy, the, the you know, the smarts, the intelligence to do anything I wanted, and I, and I had no direction. 9-11 happened. I watched it, waited for my buddy. I don't, you know, I don't know what happened the rest of the day, but I remember John came home after school, and I said, you know what, I think, I think I'm going to join the service. And he said, do it, man. And, uh, you know, I, I called the recruiter a few days later and within a few weeks I was, you know, signed up with the Marine Corps. And uh, within a year I was out of boot camp and I was in Iraq for the invasion. <laughs> you know, along with, along with that. Um, I don't know how much more you want of my, my military career from that point on. You know, whatever you want to share. Yeah, it kind of parallels Ike's, you know, from that point on, from 01. You know, we, we both served in Iraq in 03 and 04 at the same time as different units. You know, we both did well enough as enlisted Marines that we were, you know, uh, offered the opportunity for um, college. You know, that was uh, that that's an opportunity that we were granted. Not everybody gets that opportunity. But, you know, I couldn't see it at the time. But um, so I can I we did well enough as enlisted Marines that we were, you know, we were selected to as 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 white males. We were selected to go into the officer program, which is ninety nine point nine percent white males, to be honest, in the officer corps of any service. Anyways, um, Ike and I ended up uh, out here at CU doing our undergrad, going through the commissioning program in 2008. Um, we didn't like each other at the time. We did not get along um, when we came out here. When I got out here to CU to do my undergrad, I was a young, you know, a young motivated sergeant turned staff sergeant. Uh, Ike was a, a young gunny, and he was just a little bit saltier than I was. And, uh, you know, I think back then, you know, the, our maturity wasn't where it is today and, and, and we didn't get along. Um, and we went our separate ways. We got commissioned and, you know, uh, our officer careers paralleled uh, similarly as well. We both went infantry first, got injured and had to redesignate into the same job. And um, after that, we both we both went through um, our sort of transition out of the military, which was wounded warrior and um you know, confronting mental health issues from from our service. And, um, you know, I think it was, I think I I had spoken to Ike since, you know, we went to school together. And I th he went through his transition a few years before me. Um, and I just retired in the Marine Corps three months ago. But I went through my journey out of the Marine Corps the last two or three years. And I think I reached out to Ike one night, just out of the blue, just not knowing who to call. And I, and I remember I being a war hero and I think I just called him one night, like, Hey man, I'm going through some stuff that I didn't know at the time what it was. <laughs> Has this ever happened to you? He's like, it's PTSD. And, um, through that sort of connection, him and I, you know, we had phone calls and we fostered a, a relationship and he helped me through sort of my transition and, and, and whatnot. Uh, I could already relocated to Colorado at, the, at this point And, you know, he kept telling me, we hadn't seen each other since 08, he kept telling me, when you get out to Colorado, because I was relocating out here too, um, look me up, look me up. And 
course, I've seen his his Facebook blast and Twitter for a year and a half, you know, with his political stuff. He's just a, he's just a Marine I knew from 10 years ago. We've been on the same social media for 10 years. I didn't pay his, you know, his politic blast any mind. Um, he told me he wanted me to get involved with the campaign a year and a half ago. But I didn't pay any mind um, until this 4th of July, two weeks ago. And I still hadn't seen Ike since college. And I'm a firm believer in the universe, just kind of giving you nudges. And if if you listen, you know, and if, and if um, if you listen, you know, the universe will put you in the right place. And so this 4th of July, to be frank with you guys, I was at a low point a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I don't know why, but I reached out to Ike. Hey, Ike, what are you doing? Turns out Ike lives 10 minutes from me. He said, hey, I'm roasting, roasting s'mores with the kids. Come on over. So I came over 4th of July and we didn't talk about politics the first three hours. What we talked about was beliefs and you know, humanity and, and the fight and the cause. And I found myself across the kitchen counter from him just saying, you know, he was doing the political speak. We had seen to them 10 years. So he's got the stump speech that he's giving you guys. And, you know, I get the platform ideas and I just kept saying, you know, I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I said, you know what? I don't only agree with you. I believe this. I don't only agree with this. I believe this. These are beliefs that I've come to believe over my journey and, you know, uh, my life journey and the years and where I've come to. And um, at the end of, you know, a conversation like that, 4th of July, Ike says, hey, man, you know, what are you doing with your life right now? I didn't have any direction. You know, I ran out of things to fight for. You know, I was I was happy just kind of retiring out here and spending time with my daughter. That was that's rewarding enough. You know, I, I didn't uh, I thought maybe the fighting fire had burnt out. But, um, you know, I didn't think twice when Ike asked me to jump on the campaign. And um, I didn't really understand. I guess I didn't understand at the time um, why I had so much enthusiasm to do that. But over the last two weeks, I've, you know, uh, I, I've understood it. And it's because it's a fight worthy of fighting. You know, when, when I joined the Marine Corps at 19, I didn't have any direction. I had, I had all the, you know, the intangibles, all the all the characteristics, whatever you want to call them, you know, to do it. But I had no direction. Um, I was a fighter. And, um, you know, that's why I joined the Marine Corps. And that's why I stayed in for as long as I did. But through my journey, you know, I, I, I got disenfranchised the last few years and I came to my own decision that maybe the military isn't, you know, where I need to be fighting. Maybe that's not worthy enough, you know. I I was feeling like this yesterday. You know, we were kind of swapping war stories. I said, you know what, man, It's it took me years to be able to to talk about my, you know, my service. I said, but now I, now I do it because, you know, it's important. It's important, you know, for us to, you know, honor ourselves as well, but it's important to, to understand you know, what we went through and, and what a lot of a lot of kids, you know, have to go through and, and do go through just for opportunities, you know, just for an, just an opportunity to be a first generation college student, you know, an opportunity to have a, a, a guaranteed paycheck for four years or eight years, you know, have a roof over your head, to have a child, to have, you know, food on your plate. Um, anyways, I, mean, I got that's a long story long, which I think you guys like, <laughs> if I remember right. You we know, do but, like long but, stories, yes. And yeah, that but, evolution but, is awesome. But that's where I'm at, you know, and so I'm I'm next to I'm standing next to Ike every single day because he's fighting and you know he's got the political speech, you know, and he's got the politics and 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 I agree with all that and I'm fighting with him, you know. And and because it's it's because it's the right thing to do. 
because we're talking about people and we're talking about humanity and we're talking about the things that made us join, you know, and, and, and made us want to serve in the beginning and still does, you know, and um, yeah, I think this might be, you know, I had no uh, aspirations of getting into politics, but you know, this might be a worthy realm outside of the military to, to bring the fight. I think there's a lot of folks we're trying to bring the fight to that maybe don't have the fight in them <laughs> that some of us had from birth, you yeah. know, and from our own experiences and, and, and living in the fire and whatnot. So right. I'll back up from the microphone a little bit. I think uh, some of the things uh, Frankie just mentioned, I mean, some of those are, are very closely related um, to some of those lessons I mentioned earlier that, that I learned. Um, through seeing, you know, through growing up, um, observing the military service and through uh, growing and then, and then serving myself, you know, I joined the Marines when I was 17. Um, and uh, just, uh, you know, felt like I was spinning my wheels, needed direction. I wanted to go on an adventure, you know, but I joined the Marines when I was 17. But some of the lessons that I learned and some of the things that Frankie mentioned um, are directly relevant because, you know, the uh, military uh, gives you a guaranteed paycheck, like um, like Frankie mentioned. Um, so you got some revenue in your pocket, you know, so you can put clothes on your back, put food on your table. Um, the military makes sure that you have a roof over your head and uh, a barracks to sleep in, you know. Um, these basic protections... Um, that uh, every uh, human being deserves during uh, times of sickness and um, times of health alike. Um, and certainly it's the job of government uh, during uh, a national economic and national pandemic crisis to uh, support and even provide for uh, the citizenry because that's the fundamental foundational um, reason we have government to serve the people, to protect the people, to provide for the people during a time of national crisis, and to ensure that our kids are set up, you know, for a better tomorrow. And that's why I'm running for office, and that's why I support the policy platform that I do. That's why I believe fundamentally that a uniform basic income in people's pockets is what we need, especially during this pandemic crisis, because the average family doesn't have the revenue right now to put food on their tables because the economic conditions that we have set over the last six decades have made it so that 80%, almost 80% of our society is living paycheck to paycheck. And when the pandemic hit and unemployment skyrocketed, you know, we have 50 million Americans almost out of work now. Um, and those families need the ability to put food on their table for their kids. They need rent and mortgage protections, not just the tenants, but the, but the uh, property owners and the tenants need protections from uh, for rent and mortgage throughout the um, duration of this pandemic. And every American citizen <clears throat> needs some of that revenue that is ultimately the product of their own blood, sweat, and labor 
to be put back in their pockets. And what's funny, or not funny, actually, what's can, what's what's really a wonderful, but that but that is something that very few folks recognize is that that revenue in the individual poor and middle class American citizens pocket is the greatest potential economic stimulus in existence, period. That's what FDR recognized. The spending power of the poor and the middle class is larger than than any economic stimulus that gives massive corporations, uh, that gives banks, that gives Wall Street trillions in bailouts. Um, when you put revenue in the pockets of individual American citizens, food gets put on their table, clothes get put on their backs, pillows get put under their kids' heads, roofs stay over our citizens, and we provide for our, our society as, go, as government should during a time of crisis. And so that's my fundamental belief. And the reason I believe that is because I learned that those, those systems uh, work and through my service in the military, that when people have something to fall back on, when they have a chow hall, when they have a barracks to sleep in, when they have a paycheck, people can get by. They can get a leg up. They can get themselves to the next level of improving their quality of life. And honestly, that is what provides our citizens with greater liberty, with greater freedoms. And it's not being trapped by a welfare system that requires you to stay under a minimum value of earning in order to get the support that you need. That forces people into um, permanent socioeconomic deprivation, whereas a uniform uh, revenue in every American citizen's pocket would give every American citizen a leg up. And if it would incentivize them to go to work, not to limit their income so that they could qualify for programs. And that cumulative um, economic benefit is what we need. We need Americans to have the revenue in their pockets, the social safety net in place so that they can feed their families and stay in their homes through this pandemic and um, so that we can live without fear. And, and then that's why I believe and I know that the uniform basic income is the best means of stimulating our economy, improving people's quality of life, and dealing with the transitions that we have occurring within our economy with respect to automation, uh, with respect to um, uh, devastation due to um, you know government mandated shutdowns due to the pandemic. Government can't tell you to shut down your barber shop and then leave you out to dry with no revenue to put food on your table. And that's what's occurring because we have so many corrupt paid for politicians in office like my opponent, Ken Buck, who takes 73 percent 
of his money directly from corporate PACs. It's corrupt, paid-for politicians that are holding us back and that are uh, destroying the American dream. Oh, man. Okay, so I have, I have to jump in. <laughs> oh, I, I'm not allowed to say that. <laughs> you have permission. I got to jump in here because this this is the where I find myself. This this being called to do something. We, we kind of just on a... I think men in particular, maybe let's I would not get too deep, but we we feel that the, a a a a drive to want to do something, but we kind of have this little thing. Oh, I, I'm not good enough to do that. I I couldn't do that. I'm I'm not running into a burning building. I don't have a role to play here. Uh, that the leadership is for somebody else. This is for somebody else to do. Um, and I'm coming into this not as a service person <laughs> you know not not as somebody who's who's a little literal fucking hero i'm coming into this as a guy who cleaned toilets um with who's a high school dropout who had almost not and i'm and i'm like well what how blown away right now at a, what a, a year after starting the show i'm just listening to the show that's being made right now that i i was like the value of this, just this, talking to you guys, getting your stories. This is the most important work that I have ever done. And it, it, just capturing this and being like understanding the value is, <clears throat> is, is like my whole thing, appreciating the hell out of the value. And that's something that anybody can take. Anybody can step up and play whatever role uh they could there's a role for them to play you know that's why i won't shut the hell up about the lego movie you, you know it's kind of like there's a, everybody has a piece to add to this story um we're all very different i'm the weird uh drunk asshole who cleaned toilets for a long time and now just has a really fun entertaining and uh you know insightful and thought-provoking uh podcast uh, <laughs> so there's a role for everybody here you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and honestly, it's not just a Lego movie, man. Um, uh, you know, John F. Kennedy said the same thing. Um, he said, you know, um, it was in his speech at Vanderbilt in 1963, and he was talking about the responsibilities of the educated citizen. And he said, you know, that uh, he would hope that everybody would um, choose to serve, you know, at every level of government, um, because... Um, it's only those who join the list that win the race. Mm. And um, it took a while for me to uh, uh, gain a perspective and realize that, um, you know, if, if, if we didn't join the list, that <gasps> we weren't going to win the race. And oh, part no. of uh, joining the list means getting inside whichever <laughs> political party was closest to uh, – constitutionality was closest to sound constitutional fundamentals and at this point and period in history that's unequivocally you know the democratic party although i don't agree with either party on everything and i understand that we need to serve americans but you know i decided that um that uh, my kids future uh was more important to me um than my want to uh, go live in the mountains and be a ski bum and disconnect um that there were things that had to be done in order for my kids to be set up for a better future 
So I decided to join the list and uh, run for office and fight for the things that we believe in. And one of those things uh, I believe is protections for our citizens during times of health and during times of strife alike. And that's what putting revenue in our citizens' pockets does. It provides for and protects our citizens during a time of national crisis. And that's why I joined the list. And uh, yeah, so um, I, I don't think it's just the Lego movie, uh, although Lego movies and cartoons have been kind of a litmus or an example uh, throughout uh, my lifetime, uh, always giving us a depiction of fighting for greater justice, equity, liberty, whether or not it's the Justice League or, or, or the X-Men, right? But, um, but the, there are examples to, that we need to take from those stories um, from our childhood. And, um, and, and we should hold them near and dear to our heart because those uh, are examples that, that, are, um, that were derived in order to try and teach our kids lessons, lessons in how to treat each other with empathy, um, lessons in how to make our democracy uh, have greater equity, economic opportunity, uh, liberty, justice, um, all of those things. And so, yeah, I mean, there are lessons across across the board that we can take and apply to government from the military, from the Lego movie, from our cartoons, and um, make our government a better place and make our society a better place, a more accepting place. And this is this is what leaders do is they pull you into it. They they show you that you have the ability to do it, you know, that eight, that 80% of it is just showing up. And uh, so I, I love the story of, of how you pulled Frankie into that, Ike. And uh, and and Jenner, uh, I, I love the the humility of the the uh, starting point that you're coming from and to have done such an amazing thing and uh, uh, and to have heroes like this. Uh, you know, everything across the spectrum. You don't have to have been part of, of defending America to have a voice in this, in this era. You could be anybody, literally anybody. And uh, so, so me, I'm uh, uh, just to kind of give a little bit of background. I'm uh, coming into this as someone who's supervised a tutoring lab at a, at a community college, at a state college for the past 14 years. So, you know, I love what I do, but it's it's uh, uh, one of those things where we have to get involved in in more than just what we're comfortable with. We have to jump into our our discomfort and just just embrace it. And uh, you know that's that's what it's going to take to make this make this country the way that we all know that it could be and should be, where we do care for each other. So I've been I've been part of uh, you know Andrew Yang's movement, the Yang Gang, and and I've been fighting for UBI for a long time. So I know that one of the pushbacks that we get is how are we going to pay for it? And another pushback is, well, you know, people haven't earned it. We shouldn't be giving money to people who haven't earned it. And I, I think the stories that you guys just shared helps to frame it as, you know, this isn't about giving to people who haven't earned it. This is about investing in Americans and the stories of heroism that you uh, uh, embody are, are a demonstration of why we need to invest in our fellow Americans and in our fellow humans across the world, but particularly to, to Americans who, as you said, represent a giant stimulus, untapped stimulus, if only we would put money into their hands. And um, so I, I want to turn it back over 
over to you guys, uh, Frankie, Ike, whoever wants to jump in with uh, uh, how, how you guys uh, see those objections to UBI and what you would say to someone who's skeptical and hasn't really, um, uh, you know, jumped on, on that idea yet. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And um, I think that uh, part of the skepticism is rooted in, rooted in our individualistic culture, but um, and in the desire for um, yeah, an independence, you know, and uh, the idea that somehow smaller government um, results in greater liberty, um, when in actuality. Uh, smaller government um, doesn't result in less government. It doesn't result in um, uh, more liberty for the citizenry. Smaller government results in about the same size of government or even bigger government, uh, less freedom and equity, more concentrated power in, in the hands of a few. Um, and so what we need to address is the stigma that is uh, is around um, investing in, in, as you said, Americans and in, a, in Americans' quality of life. And the fundamental concept that people have to be made aware of is that Americans labor, Americans sweat, um, Americans' um, <clears throat> production is what uh, actually provides that revenue in the first place. So what we're talking about is a reinvestment, a reinvestment in the infrastructure and in the civil and in the social safety nets that can make our society great again. And so what we need to do is to talk about uh, these payments, not even payments, as distributions, distributions of the revenue that the American people are responsible for creating in the first place. Um it's our government, it's our treasury, and we need to invest that treasury um, in the quality of life of all Americans, um, not spend it just in franchising a few. And um, so that was the first part of your question. I think we need to break down stigmas. And I think part of breaking down the stigma is instituting a uniform basic income. And the reason is because the welfare system is fraught with um, stigma, and it's also fraught with a whole bunch of conditions or policies or restrictions that make it so individuals have to live within a certain uh, poverty, level of poverty in order to qualify for the program. It doesn't give people a leg up. It actually incentivizes people um, kind of stacking the deck so that they make just enough so that they can still get the help that they need. And those, um, that whole welfare system that kind of puts a ceiling over people and traps them in permanent socioeconomic poverty uh, is what we need to remove. So we should get rid of the welfare system, institute a UBI so that every American is uh, living with equity, with enough revenue in their pockets to put food on their tables. And uh, Jenner, you're gonna have to uh, throw the first part of that question at me again. 
I think I think you answered um, uh, pretty much what I was uh, uh, hoping you to be able to say. But I, I, I guess maybe just more directly to anybody who, uh, you know, still thinks that, uh, uh, you know, it's going to it's going to remove the work ethic or, or right. that, you know, something like that. Yeah, I think it actually will improve work ethic because uh, it'll it'll release people who are currently trapped in the welfare system that can only get those benefits if they earn a very, very minimal income. It'll release that segment of the population that's in the welfare system and allow them to go ahead and seek employment, you know. Um, so people in disadvantaged communities, they, they, they really don't have access to opportunity right now. And um, poor people with money in their pockets is economic stimulus, right? And um, the COVID crisis, of course, made it more apparent than ever that we need revenue in people's pockets. And the UBI is a way to do it um, and break down stigma at the same time and remove the restrictions that trap people in permanent socioeconomic poverty and um, to let, allow people to live with more dignity. Um, and, you know, in the short term with UBI, we're talking about uh, truck driving jobs. We're talking about plant processing jobs. We're talking about all kinds of things going away within the next 10, 20 years as automation, you know, takes over large swaths of our production. And we have to talk about how we're going to take care of our citizens and keep them engaged and really start uh, what needs to be a new American renaissance and um, a change in the way that that we uh, actually live our lives, um, a more fulfilling life uh, where people have the opportunity to expand their enlightenment and education um, when they're not living in fear of not being able to feed their families or living in fear of losing the roof over their head. Um, this, is, this is the type of things that UBI can do. It can remove stigma. It can break down a socioeconomic divisions in our society and uh, start bringing us together around our shared values again. The, the the answer here is to most of this because everybody's looking at the situation going it's so broken oh my god where do we even begin to to tackle this but the the important thing there is that the answer is so freaking obvious it's what we're really talking about here is just restoring the american dream we are restoring the you know Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is built into the core of what our fucking country was founded on. And this, this is, these are not new ideas, okay? Um, they're, they're, they're just unpopular ones. And, and it's because usually um, the people who are out there being loudest are, are you know, they they're corrupt. They're you know x x y and z. It's just we do, we just need more people that have the right answer because it's it's again it's so freaking obvious how we begin to solve some of these things. We, people just aren't 
we need to make this the more popular message. This is what I'm being called to do in my humble way to just amplify this, make this the story because everybody already knows. Everybody already knows, you know, that that having, you know, having a comma in your bank account once a month that you don't have to, you know, worry about, you know, what the what the hell am I going to it's it's that economic insecurity thing. And I'm so glad that you brought up the welfare system because it is punitive as hell and it's designed to keep people there is designed to trap people in a system where they will never have the opportunity to do anything else and i saw that and i said well fuck that i don't i don't i don't you know i'm I'm not gonna go grab a gun and, and 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 do the literal you know go to war thing but this this is the war that i'm being called to do and it's just with voices and it's it's extremely powerful this this medium in particular long-form podcasting because this is going to get this is going to allow people to get to know you you know the the real the human uh because that's another thing that we do is we dehumanize each other um especially along tribal lines or political lines and and frankie this is why i was like yeah this is not politics for me bro this is not a politics show this is like a deeply (laughs) this is a did like this is the mission to save the future you know what i'm saying like yeah it it really is i mean it's the future it's the future integrity of our democracy which at this point isn't that great and it's the you know future of our planet it's literally an existential point um in history and and you know I'm I'm proud to be running for office with so many amazing uh, people like yourself and uh, like Frankie and uh, behind me. And the reason is, is because I honestly really feel like we need to carry the torch. You know, um, Andrew Yang uh, brought it brought the issue to the forefront and made the American people aware that. We really need a universal basic income moving forward in order to support the needs of of our population, of our citizens. And um, I'm proud to carry that torch. I grew up, like I said, on welfare and food stamps and free meals and and saw how the social support systems within the military support military families and uh, enable them to get a leg up and to better themselves and educate themselves. And, and that's what really provides opportunity. Um, and so we need to re-examine um, the effects of our economic system and whether or not it is really achieving our in-state objectives uh, with respect to, you know, increasing American uh, Americans' ability to live the American dream like we've been talking about, to improve the quality of life for their kids, um, to make their their kids' lives just a little bit better than what they were um, handed down. And that's the fundamental concept that we've lost and that the loss of empathy and the loss of compassion and the loss of love for each other and the great othering of our society has, you know, it's had uh, horrible effects on how we view each other, how we conduct ourselves, um, how we conduct our, our um, governmental processes. Uh, and so I'm running for office again because the future, our future, our kids' future is dependent on the conditions that, that we set now and it is depend- and the future of our democracy is dependent 
on who we put in office in November. One nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. That's what it's about, right? Right. Yeah, it's not new. All we're saying is that people shouldn't start at zero. How, 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 you know, imagine how fun a game of Monopoly would be if you started with zero. Right. You know, that's basically what we're talking about. Right. And I mean, it's nuts, but Eisenhower warned us about uh, this current predicament that we're in when he left office. Um, and he warned us about the dangerous potentials of the congressional military industrial complex to corrupt the motivation of legislators to serve the will and interests of the people before special interest groups. Um, he warned us about the very situation that we're in right now and the tendencies for autocratic capitalist institutions to engage us in protracted foreign wars. So he was talking about our own fossil fuel industry and corporations, arms industries, ability to corrupt um, the motivation of legislators. And that's why uh, at the same time, you know, we instituted uniform basic income to, to provide for our citizens. We also need to ensure that we completely eradicate um, undue uh, influence from our legislature in the form of fiscal influence, in the form of, uh, of pay of lobbyists who are fiscally empowered that hold puppet strings over our legislators. Just like Ken Buck, my opponent, you know, he takes 73% of his money from corporate PACs. He's a paid for pawn politician. He's part and parcel to the problems that exist in Washington. And he's part of the breakdown of um, competence in government. And that's why we need to get corrupt Ken out of office. And if you want to do that, of course, you can go to www.ikeperco.com, you know, and you can make a contribution to my campaign and help me get in touch with all those individual persuadable voters that exist out there in rural Colorado that are going to help us win the fourth in November. And, and I want to tell you, that's that's why I here in Florida, you know, still care about this so much, because this is something that affects our entire nation. You know, we're going to be making a decision as to whether it is uh, going to be an Ike McCorkle or it's going to be a Ken Buck who has a seat at the table when we're deciding whether or not to send young Americans into harm's way. And I, I want that to be uh, th these are the weightiest decisions that can be made, the, the kind that our, our United States Congress uh, will be making. And I, and I want a voice at the table that, that knows the true cost of these things and that, that knows the price that's been paid and that is not going to be beholden to you know, all these special interests, but is going to be in the service of the American people. That, that is vital no matter where you live in America to have uh, uh, people like that representing us. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that the people of Colorado have uh, 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 so far put you in as the nominee and given you that opportunity to, to uh, serve in that way. And, um, you know, we're, we're about a, an hour, hour and a half into it. Uh, you've already uh, uh, said pe to people where they can uh, go ahead and, and, uh, donate to your campaign. Is, are there any other uh, aspects, any other, any other ways that we as citizens are going to be able to uh, support you and support candidates like you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, like I mentioned, you go to my website, ikeforco.com and make that 
uh, contribution. But, you know, the way that you support uh, and the way that everybody can support candidates like myself are to uh, go and investigate and see who's running in your local districts. It makes a huge difference. We don't really recognize it, but county commissioners, county commissioners, town council members, um, those are the types of individuals that have a huge impact on the local policies that really affect our quality of life, that affect our, the way that uh, water and transportation systems are really um, <clears throat> um, installed and how they're available. Um, and so we need to look at every level of government and, and each individual citizen needs to start uh, right at the at the town council level and all the way up. So we have to vote, you know, our conscience from the presidential executive race down to the congressional race, um, down to uh, the district level, down to our individual precincts and precinct captains and precinct organizers and county commissioners and sheriffs. And um, you can get involved by looking up that simple information and you can get involved by talking to your neighbors and friends, and you can share social media. You can hop on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, look up our pages and share our policy and platform positions with your friends and just say, hey, hop on and check out Ike because Ike's going to fight for us. And uh, the more folks we have on board, the better. All, our contributions come uh, solely from grassroots. We take zero from corporate PACs. We take zero from big pharma. And we will serve the will and interests of the people when we get in office, not a bunch of corrupt corporate lobbyists. So, yeah, get involved. Check out our website. Check out your local candidates because they make a huge difference in how um, government takes care of our quality of life. And Every single seat from the local level to the national level is critical in this race. So listeners, you can't unhear what you've heard. This call to action is to you. There are no excuses for apathy. There are no excuses for indifference. You have no reason not to step forward. If a man who's uh, been through the things uh, that Ike has for his country is still willing to carry the banner and still, after everything, believes in in the America that we could have, then there's no reason not to do it. You have to step forward. You have to jump in and get involved in some way. And I, I, I guess I, I don't know I mean, what else to say. Jenner, you take even, it. Even if it's just sharing the good news, like – Holy exactly. holy shit, we have we have a guy running in, in Colorado's fourth and he's got the right answer. All for me, this is just like, no, we just need to get share the good news. Cause like again, it's like the the answers are obvious. Um, we just need to make sure that the the right ones are being amplified. <laughs> because um and this is just a, a small little side note. I'm so I'm so glad that you brought up cost earlier because yes, there there is a cost to doing to enacting these huge changes that we want look at the cost of not doing it look at yeah. the cost of not acting that is should everybody should find that potentiality just unacceptable you know 
that the idea that we're just not going to do anything and just let things keep going the way that they're going. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure nobody's super stoked on the way things are going right now. And that, that, that's the call for new leaders, um, at every, at every stage in every, you know, from the guy who cleans the toilets all the way up, you know, to the, to the freaking oval office, we need strong leadership everywhere. Um, and we need to not accept, just simply not accept, um, the bad arguments, the, the, the corruption, the, all of it, it, it's up to us to just take it. Um, yeah, you know, I think we, you know, we've got inside the party. Um, we've gotten into politics now and we have a legislative agenda that we know can set the conditions that are needed to better our citizens quality of life, to make us live up to the America we've always promised to be, but have never really achieved to, um, set the example again, morally and ethically and economically in the world. And yeah, so a better tomorrow, I mean, it's just around the corner and it's exact and it's going to be, um, achieved through uh, exactly what you just mentioned. It's, it's by voting for people who are going to go into office with the formative foundation of their motivation for governance being the uh, best interests of our citizenry and the best interests of, of mankind, of human, of human beings all over our, our planet. Because whether we like it or not, uh, we live in a global society and we need to start um, living up to um, human rights, dignity, uh, respect for each other and establishing greater economic uh, global interdependence, um, having greater and uh, more robust diplomatic efforts to engage with our allies and our enemies alike and start reinvesting in our citizens again instead of investing in a system that allows our infrastructure to crumble, that evicts our citizens uh, 60% of evictions nationally, annually come directly from medical bills. Um, you know, a system that is great for a very minute fraction of an enfranchised portion of our society, but for most of us really isn't that great of a deal. Really, um, hasn't panned out to be, um, the American dream. And so we need to re-engage, we need to uh, institute policy that'll make possible that, that American dream again. And that's why I'm running for office because I care deeply about my kids' future and about all of our kids' future. And I know that we have all the answers. We have all the scientific and technological capacity. Uh, we have all the collaborative ability and um, to address the environmental crisis. Um, to provide our citizens with high-quality, good-paying jobs that are sustainable um, and to live through what I believe can be the next great great enlightenment for mankind and, um, and start living up to our ideals and values as a nation and as a people. Um, and, and, yeah, so that's why I'm running again. <laughs> We just got to remind, we got to remind people that there's a better way. 
because they feel like there's not everybody's kind of do this it's all all hope is lost thing no there is a there are there are better ways and again a lot of these answers came to us a long time ago we've had them uh forever there's just we're not and i was going to tie this in some way to to the space program to to apollo you know um in a in a in a thread that i'm now just totally losing in real time but it 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 takes it takes that that investment it takes the right stuff do you know what i'm saying it takes the yeah the apollo mission is a great like analogy because i mean we could look at something and we could say we want to achieve this um we know it's possible how are we going to get it done and yeah, that's an engineering problem that's going on right now. Uh, we know we can we know we can institute the policies that will make the American dream possible, that will invest in repairing our infrastructure and installing the renewable energy systems that we need to provide our citizens with good paying jobs, to install rural water infrastructure, to provide our farmers and ranchers with the water that they need to grow our crops. Um, we can live up to all of these dreams and we can and we can devise the policy and the conditions and put them in place that we need to get there. And that's that's the analogy that I that I heard in your in your reference to the Apollo mission is that you look at something and it, and it see and it might even seem daunting or impossible, but it's simply not. We did go to the moon. Uh, we did win World War Two. Um, we did move from a largely economically depressed egg with egg society uh, back in 1933 and the height of the Great Depression and within seven years with good policy, the New Deal turned that around and materially and and with respect to capacity prepared us to be able to win World War II, launched the Manhattan Project, brought us to the moon. Um, We don't need timidity in our representatives. We need bold answers. We need comprehensive solutions to the broad array of systemic problems that face our society. It sounds like what you're talking about is almost like a Marshall Plan for the United States to rebuild the parts that have decayed and, and the people that have fallen behind. And look at how much that look at look at the dividends that that paid. How how many times in history has a victorious power rebuilt their former enemies? But uh, you know, to have allies like Germany and Japan uh, as as you know friends in the world, how look at the dividends that that's paid for the United States to live right. in that world where they're on our side. And and what if we did that for the American people? What if we made the the American people as empowered as they could be? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and really, uh, at this point in history, uh, with the extent of the environmental crisis, the only type of answers that are solution sets they're going to um, competently address the environmental crisis are global solutions, are bold solutions, are solutions that would, um, you know, with respect to scale, um, be relative to the Manhattan Project or the Mar or, or the Marshall Plan, and we really need a new international Marshall Plan. Um, we really need a new international New Deal, and um, you know I think that uh, 
we can just look at our past and see that we uh, probably should have instituted that a long time ago. Uh, FDR had a plan for a new deal. He had an international new deal. And he had a plan for instituting a second Bill of Rights that guaranteed people um, a job, that guaranteed people health care, that guaranteed people a roof over their head. And those are the types of humanist endeavors that we need to re-engage with. And that's what will, again, set us up to set the moral example in the world. Dang. I'm going to give that one a ding. And it is all hands on deck, you guys. It's all like, hands on deck. That's the only way this works. I couldn't wait to squeeze that one in there. All hands oh, on yeah. deck. I mean, we're going to carry the torch, man. It's all hands on deck. Go to www.ikeforco.com and together we can restore integrity, trust, and confidence in our government. We're behind you all the way, Ike. And someday, once this coronavirus has passed, I look forward to visiting you in Washington and shaking your hand and congratulating you as a congressman. And, well, man, uh, open invitation anytime. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'd love to have you back on the show too. This is we've only scratched the surface of all the things that we have to talk about. So I, I am uh, I, I would I would love to have you back. Yeah, man, I'd love to talk the nuances of uh, policy. I feel like I've been a bit of a, a broken record talking about the wave tops, but the wave tops are important too, right? <laughs> well, we have to save the listeners something, right? We there's a we'll definitely get into the nitty gritty of, of some of the important uh, policies and and uh, you know it sounds like this is something that you've done a lot of research in and, and feel strongly about and that's what's driving you and so you know I think it's going to educate a lot of people and I think it's going to fire up a lot of people. Yeah, I know we're fired up. <laughs> I'm I'm fired up. I mean, yeah. man, we we need we need smart people with good hearts, and I feel so thankful to have found you, Ike. And uh, we're we're old Facebook friends from like an old science group or something forever ago. And it 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 the original plan was to get you on the show months and months and months and months and months ago. And I'm so glad that we we finally did. It. We finally sat yeah. down. We finally got this out. And it is the perfect time. This is it the is. time. Uh, there was never a better one, and that absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, man, I think we circled the wagons today. Uh, I think I bumped into you. It was sometime uh, shortly after the 16 election cycle, and I knew I was coming out to Colorado. I started engaging online, and uh, somehow that that's how we bumped into each other. I believe it was on Facebook. And then, um, yeah, you shot me a message maybe a year ago or something asking if I wanted to do a podcast. And I was like, yeah, let's do it, you know. And then, uh, then of course, we all had uh, our lives interfere as they always do. But, man, I can't tell you what a pleasure it is uh, to finally have uh, gotten together and, uh, and to do this podcast and uh, have the dialogue and uh, to address the issues that are pertinent to our people's needs and yeah, so I can't tell you how much gratitude I have for you guys. And uh, yeah, and a ton of respect, too. And, and I really appreciate being on, on this platform and podcast. And, you know, I just hope that uh, it can help us get Ken out of office so we can uh, restore the American dream for CD4. Amen. Dang. Jesse, I will leave it to you, sir.
<laughs> I cannot top that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave it right there and say, uh, uh, Frankie, Ike, we're going to have conversations with both of you, each of you individually. But there's a lot more talk to, ha- to be had, and I'm just going to leave the final word in, uh, in your hands, I guess. All right. Well, yeah. Um, thank you guys again for having me. Um, I hope all your listeners out there, um, you know, appreciate that uh, we're uh, retired uh, uh, veterans, and um, and that's our observation is why we believe and and know that uh, UBI is what the people need right now. And so, thank you guys again for having us on your show. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And uh, for all your listeners out there, don't forget to. Uh, Check out those down ballot candidates. Uh, uh, check out those down ballot progressives uh, because they're really important. There's a hundred of them running across running across the nation right now for seats in the House and the Senate, and it's critical that uh, the younger generation, that uh, the progressive wing in our party, take over those seats in the legislature so that we can get the policy passed that we need to take care of our citizens. Uh, Go to www.ikeforco.com. Make that contribution. Help us get it done. Hoorah. 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 Take care, guys. Thank you for listening to the very first episode of Resurgent Us, hosted by Jesse Rogers. The epic and long-awaited return of humanity first to Mindwave. I couldn't have thought of a better way to do it. Um... I'm so thankful to Jesse for coming in and doing this with me. This is your show now. I was calling it Humanity First Season 3. This is not a new season. This is this is a new show. Um, and it is going to be the coolest fucking show. Um, we're going to revolutionize politics with this. We are going to uh, do the work of building the brighter future, standing on the mountaintop, looking at the valley below, and seeing what we could fucking build. We're going to go there, and we're going to fucking build it. And you, man, Jesse Rogers, I cannot wait for Resurgent Us to take way off Okay, this is, we'll call it Starbase Alpha. You're going to take off from here. It's going to be your own show. You're going to have a massive audience. We need to get you set up with your own support channels immediately. Um, If you like this thing that (laughs) Jenner's doing, you can support me at mindwave.media. Hashtag Studio Stargazer wherever. Um, Because this is why I'm here. This is what what I'm here to do. This is like... Jesse defeating your dementors Um, it's (laughs) you're sitting around waiting for the cavalry to show up you're hearing this message you are the cavalry and we are with you 
and there is strength in that, guys. Uh, oh, man. Welcome to Resurgent Us.